Okay? So we're going to pick back up in Ephesians 5, and that's on page 1081. So if you didn't bring a Bible, just get the Bible in front of you. Turn to page 1081. You're welcome to take that home with you if you don't have a Bible. We said last week, looking at these first 14 verses of Ephesians 5, we said that when you choose a hero, you choose a destiny. And that's because of the way God made us. And so if you'll get your listening guides out, we're going to reiterate that by saying that we are made to mimic. God made you and me to mimic. That's how we are created. And so if we think about what the Scripture says in Genesis chapter 1, God created man in his own image, and in the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. What does it mean when the Bible says we're created in the image of God? See, a lot of times what we think about, which is true, but we only think about one side of that. We think that, well, God created us, and the reason why we feel emotion, for example, is because God feels emotion, and the reason why we uh, you know, have these innate senses about us is because it's a reflection of God, and that is true. But beyond that, it's the Bible declaring that in the creation of humanity, we are made to mimic. We are made to do that. That's why we do that. That's why we become like whatever we're exposed to for a long period of time. Whenever you, uh, whoever you spend an inordinate amount of time around, you will begin to become like them. Whatever you, you think about more than other things, you will be influenced. You will become like that thing. The thing that, that captivates our time and our emotions, our affections, will affect us. It makes us like that thing. And the reason for that is because God has a very specific intention in mind. And so when you get to Ephesians 5, let's focus in on the first two verses and we can see exactly why this is. The Bible says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. God's purpose in creating us in His image is because God's desire for us is to imitate Him, for us to grow in that image. So basically, what the Bible teaches is that the moment we become children of God, the moment we're saved, we enter into a process of becoming more like Jesus, which we call sanctification. It's just a fancy word for becoming more like Jesus. But the process of sanctification is really growing in our imitation of Jesus. And so here we have this command. This is a command. Be imitators of God. What is a command? What do you think of when you hear the word command? 
I mean, technically, a command is a divine rule. That's what a command is. But a lot of times when we hear the word command, we think negatively because it's someone telling us what to do. We don't like anyone telling us what to do. It makes us think about someone ordering us around. Maybe we think about the Ten Commandments, the Ten Divine Rules that a lot of people think exist to rob us of pleasure. Maybe, maybe you grew up believing that you had to keep the Ten Commandments in order for God to accept you. You see, there's a pervasive view today sort of an undercurrent. It hides underneath our, our expressed beliefs, our expressed theology. But that, that view is that good behavior equals God's favor. Now, I want you to understand that don't just reject that because there's a lot of us in the room that believe that. We don't say that, but we pray according to that rule. We, we, we set our expectations of God according to that rule. That's the only way you can get to the place where you feel like God's treating you unfairly. That because you've done certain things that God somehow owes you. Because you deep down inside, have this unspoken belief that when you behave well, it equals the favor of God. Well, does the Bible teach that? Is that the way in which we're to relate to God? If you obey the rules, does that make God happy with you? If you don't obey the rule, does, rules, does that God, make God unhappy with you? Well, the Bible will set us straight on this. Here's what the Bible says, for example, in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10. Talking about the law as a reference to God's commandments. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Now let's think about what this says. The law can never make perfect. So this, this proves that the law was never, it could never have been intended for us to have a way to become right with God. It, it couldn't have been uh, keeping the, the rules can't be the solution to our separation from God because the only way for that to be solved is through perfection and we can't do it. The Bible even says it can never make perfect. In fact, if you keep reading in Hebrews 10, you come to Verse 14, it says, For by a single offering he has made perfect for all time those who are being sanctified. So what the law couldn't make perfect, 
Jesus made perfect, right? So the question is, well, then why did God give the law? Why didn't we just start with the New Testament? Well, God gave us the law to reveal His righteousness, but we need to understand how this works. We need to understand that when we look into the mirror of the law, God gives us this to see His righteousness, but also what it does is it it shows us the difference between God and ourselves. Think of it this way on your listening, God. The law proves that we're not God. That's what the law does. You don't have to stare at the law, the law very long before you realize that you can't do it. You can't keep it. Therefore, you and me can't be the solution to our sin problem, to our separation from God problem. Clearly, we're not God, and the way that's most clearly seen is by the way God starts with the law, and we, we are just confronted by how insufficient we are. See, if we know that we need God, we realize we can't get there ourselves, then what happens is we begin to understand that we need someone else to get us there. Right? We need something else, something outside of us to get us there. So two central functions of the law are, number one, the law points us to Jesus because it points us to a need for something beyond ourselves. But once we, once we find Jesus, or once we're found by Jesus, or once we have a relationship through Jesus, the law still functions. It's not over. It's not done. So secondly, the law protects us from us. It protects us from us. So as we walk in relationship with Christ, the law is a barrier. It's a boundary. It's a, it's a gift. See, the commands of God were never intended for us to earn eternal life. They were given to us to enjoy eternal life now. See, to, to begin to enjoy that, to begin to be able to exist in what we've been granted through Christ. See, every time God says, don't do something, every time you're reading the Bible and says, thou shalt not, God's not trying to rob you from freedom or from joy. What he's saying is, don't hurt yourself. Don't hurt yourself. Thou shalt not do this because this isn't good for you. It's not healthy for you. God created life, and so He, above all people, knows how life ought to be lived, right? And so that's what the law, that's how the law functions in our lives today. And whenever God says, do this, what God's saying is, help yourself. Don't do this, don't hurt yourself. Do this, help yourself. 
It's, it's a mistake to think of God as some unloving, overly strict authority figure that's trying to kill our joy. It's a mistake to approach the Bible and to, and to, to have this posture in your heart where you're, 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 you're thinking, it's just don't do this and don't go here and don't say this and don't be this way and don't, 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 don't. That's a mistake. That's, that's there to protect you from you. When I was thinking about this, I was thinking about how when my grown kids were young, you know, you, you go through these, these, the first time in parenting, and, and so you're constantly crossing bridges that you've never crossed before as your children, your, your first children, your, especially your oldest, grows, right? And so I remember when Kayla got her first bike, and I taught her how to ride her bike. And so at first it was fun and games, you know, and she had a little bike and it had little training wheels on it and she could, you know, barely go very far. And, you know, it was ridiculous. And Lisa's got enough safety equipment on her. She looked like she was going to war or something. But anyway, you know, by the time the next kids come along, you're like, woo, just go for it, whatever. We don't, we're not worried about it. But once the training wheels came off, then, then suddenly I realized, hold on. There's a road out there. And now you can move. And so I had to sort out, like, how do I make sure that she understands? Because at first I would just, whenever she was on the bike, I would stand at the end of the driveway. Because I was so paranoid that she would go too far. But then I came up with a better idea. And so every night I would tell them bedtime stories. And uh, so I, you know, and I would always make them up. Like if we read the Bible, then that was your time for what's true. And then if dad tells you a story, well, there's really no telling what's going to happen out of his mind. All my kids can tell you about that. So I started, I made up this character named Little Tommy. And Little Tommy was a bad kid who always got in trouble. And he was always doing things he wasn't supposed to do. And I learned how to, how to teach my kids things about a right and wrong and about consequences without it indirectly. So they enjoyed it that they didn't realize, but they were also learning. And so the story would always be little Tommy's cardinal sin was riding his bike out into the road. He went over the line. And we went over the line. And then I would, I would say, and he went over the line. And Kayla would go, because she knew how the story went. And I would say, and what happened to little Tommy? And she would go, he got a spanking. And see, I didn't have to tell her that if she went over the line, she was going to get a spanking over and over. She knew that because of little Tommy. It was years before finally my kids came to me and said, who is little Tommy? I said, I don't have a clue. I just made him up. But, you know, in my stories, the, the disobedient one always starts with a T and sounds kind of like Tony. Now, did I tell them that to rob them of joy? Did I go through all that little Tommy stuff to, to, because I, I, I was trying to hinder 
my children's joy of riding their bike in the road. I was trying to hinder them the opportunity to develop the ability to dodge cars on their, on their bicycles. Well, of course not. I gave them boundaries because I love them. And I know what's better for them than they know for themselves. And so that's why I gave them commandments in the same way. God's commandments aren't to rob us. They're to bless us. They're for our blessing. And so oftentimes we have to make sure that we have the right posture when we come before the Bible so that we're, we're, we're not reading things through the wrong lens. So the Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, for this is the love of God. What is it? That we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. You see that? That's the love of God. Keeping God's commandments is an expression of His love practically applied in your life and my life. That's what it is. So when the Bible commands us in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 therefore be imperative imitators of God as beloved children it's an expression of God's love for you and for me now what exactly is being commanded in Ephesians 5.1. Notice this is not just a command to do. It's a command to be. He didn't say imitate in doing. He said imitate by being. By being. Be what? Be an imitator of God. The word, the Greek word used here for imitate is the word where we get our English word mimic. He's saying mimic God. So to allow the reality of who God is and how he relates to us to infiltrate and permeate all the areas of our life. That's what this means to imitate God. To let God, in the way he relates to us, through Jesus, infiltrate all the areas of our life. Which is the only way this makes sense. Now look, back up, because it starts with the word therefore. So Paul's connecting being an imitator to God to what he just said. So look back in Ephesians 4. Go all the way back. Look back in Ephesians 4. Remember, beginning in verse 22. Put off the old self which belongs to your former manner of life, which is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness, which is just a, a, a repeat in a new way with new understanding of Genesis 127. And then notice, look at what follows. Look at beginning in verse... 25, therefore put away falsehood. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Verse 28, 
Let the thief no longer steal. Verse, verse 29, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths. Verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and, and slander be put away from you. And then verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So he pulls all that together by saying, Jesus is your example. You, when you do these things, you are being like him. And the focus is not to just focus on doing them. It's to focus on being, which is culminated in the attitude Jesus had. So basically, the way Jesus relates to me the way Jesus relates to you is the way that we are to relate to others. That would be to mimic him, to imitate him. Jesus calls us to imitate God. Think about this. Have you ever realized that when he says, when the Bible says be an imitator of God, what did Jesus do when he was on earth? He imitated God. Isn't that what the Bible says? John chapter 12. Whoever sees me, Jesus said, sees him who sent me. Mimic. Jesus said, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. Mimic. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. So as we watch Jesus, what are we seeing? We're seeing God at work. We're, but when we see Jesus being, what is he being? He's being like someone, the Father. And so we now, as adopted into his family children, are to immerse ourselves. So our older brother, Jesus, is our hero. We imitate him because he imitates the Father. When we see him, we see God. See, what happens is when we're looking at Jesus, we're watching the visible God copy the love of the invisible God. That's what we're seeing. So we imitate God by imitating God in skin. That's how we imitate God. Because that's the picture of God. If you want to know what God is like, what do you look at? Jesus. So Jesus comes along and he says things like, well, I'm the good shepherd and I lay my life down for my sheep. See, he makes statements like, like I lay my life down for my sheep in John chapter 10. What? Well, wait a minute. But so he's showing us the way the father is. That's a picture of of the love of God expressed through the 
person of Jesus. Jesus lays his life down for us. He gives up all that he is for us. No one takes his life from him, but he willingly, joyfully, freely gives it. So when Jesus dies, he's not a victim. See, Jesus isn't isn't keeping the commands of his father. He's not doing what he sees his father do or doing what he, or being what he hears his father be or sees his father be out out of duty. He's not doing that out of compulsion. See, he's not a victim. Evil's not taking his life. He's giving it up for us freely and joyfully in obedience to his Father. That's what we're called to do when the Bible says to mimic or to imitate. See, sometimes, sometimes I think that when we're reading the Bible, we're too detached from what's happening. I like to step into the story that I'm reading. What, it doesn't matter what it is. I want to imagine what it's like to be in there. Sometimes I imagine that I'm just a fly on the wall observing, but sometimes I imagine that I'm in that moment, participating in that moment, and I'm trying to um, feel what is being felt, and I'm trying to, to, to see what's being expressed through the pages of Scripture. And so I imagine things like I... I see Jesus on the cross and I imagine that I'm there. And I think, what would that be like? And I think if I was there, I would have said, why are you doing this? You're God. But what what is happening right now? Why would God do this? See, I imagine that I'm in the upper room with the disciples. And then Jesus suddenly kneels down and takes a basin of water and starts washing the disciples' feet. And I imagine, like you ever imagine, imagine you were one of the disciples? What in the world would you do in that moment? You're, I imagine thinking, no, this is wrong. You can't do this. This, this, this can't be right. You're God in the flesh. You don't wash my feet. And then as I'm imagining that, I see Jesus look up at me and say, you still don't get it yet, do you? You still don't get it. I only do what I see the Father doing. This is who the Father is who sent me. I'm imitating the true and living God of the universe. See, it's because Jesus is God that he lives his life as a servant. Which just seems crazy. See, sometimes we think that that God sent a version of God, Jesus, to earth to do all these things as a servant. 
But what the Bible teaches is that God sent an image of himself in Jesus. He is God. And he, what Jesus said is everything I do is what I see the Father do. So when Jesus is washing feet, Jesus is showing us who his Father is. This is who God is. It's not a version of God. It is God. Jesus is God with skin imitating God without skin. Now, how in the world can me and you do that? Well, look back at the verse. Be imitators of God, how? And the answer comes, as beloved children. As beloved children. Notice it doesn't say, imitate God as faithful servants. See, notice it doesn't say imitate God by doing, but by being. Don't don't imitate by being faithful servants. Don't imitate by being dedicated Christians. Don't imitate by being faithful church members. The only way to do this is as beloved children. And so here's the beautiful thing, is that after giving the command... His focus is not on rules that need to be followed, but on a relationship that needs to be enjoyed. That's the point. The point is, if you're beloved children, what does that mean? It means you're beloved by the Father. That there's nothing you need to do to earn that standing. It's freely given. That the reason behind our imitating of God is 100% based on our standing with God. If being a Christian, listen to me, if you're here this morning, And the truth in your heart that you would never tell a soul, you would never say this. Be honest with yourself. If being a Christian is not the greatest source of joy in your life, you are doing it wrong. Wrong. You got it wrong. You might be saved, but you got it wrong. You've got the wrong view. You've got the wrong idea. If, if, other, if any other thing is more exciting and more joy-filled and you're more passionate about, then God, you're doing it wrong. That's not the way it's intended to be. See, a child who is well-loved by a father. Naturally begins to take on the characteristics of their father. It's natural. Listen, my son Cameron is in the living room. He's watching football. I'm walking through the kitchen... And I hear him scream at the television, 
somebody drops a pass or missed a kick or did something, and I hear him scream at the television going, you need to go home and put on a skirt. (laughs) And I went, my boy, that's my boy. He heard me say that a thousand times. If that offends you, I don't care. That's how I feel. We're very clear about gender in my house. See, it's just natural to him to say what he's heard me say. I want you to know this morning you have a perfect father. And he infinitely loves you. And you don't need to perform to receive his love. You're accepted through Christ into his family. Adopted an irreversible, irrevocable position. Not because of anything you've done. But because of everything he's done. Through Christ you were adopted into his family. Why? Because Jesus came here and did in skin what he sees his father do in heaven. So when you get to verse 2 of Ephesians 5, Of course it would say, and walk in love. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Right. You see? Now, we start to get some clarity. See, we realize that our ability to imitate God in our daily life is born out of our relational pursuit of God in our daily life. See, listen, if Cameron never sat and watched football with me, if he didn't spend time with me, he wouldn't say what I say. He wouldn't act like I act. The reason that he says what I say and the reason he acts like I act is because he's with me. He's around me. We spend time together. We do things together. You see, that's why that is. It's the same thing for me and you. So listen, intimacy with God leads to imitation of God. There's no imitation if there's no intimacy. You're not going to mimic a God you don't spend any time with, you don't walk with, you're not in relationship with. You can't do that. It's all about relationship. So listen, if you're here, this is what this means. If you're here this morning and, and, you, and you, you think in, in, you, in, the, in the quietness of your own mind, you're thinking, the truth of the matter is, is my life doesn't imitate God. You don't have an imitation problem. You have an intimacy problem. Because intimacy creates naturally. You don't, it, it's, not, it's not effort-based. Intimacy creates imitation. That's what it does. 
Look, we can sing all the songs, we can memorize all the scriptures we want, but what we really believe is going to come out in the way that we treat other people, in the way that our life does or does not reflect the God we claim to serve and love. Because the truth of the matter is, we all copy whatever God we really believe in. Because we were made to mimic. That's how you were made. You can't, you can't escape it. You have as much chance of preventing yourself from mimicking what you believe in as you do deciding that you no longer want to breathe. You can't. And the good news this morning is that we can imitate the God of the universe as crazy as that sounds. And I know it sounds crazy because it is. But we can do that because Jesus came to earth and imitated his father. And he loved us. And he gave himself up for us. You see? And so now you're beginning to see. That's why when we come to the Lord's table, why does Jesus say, do this in remembrance of me? Continually remind yourself of what I did. Why? Because what Jesus is saying is not just so that you remember what I did for you, but so that you remember who God is. Because Jesus did this as a reflection of God for us. So we need to remember that because we need to be reminded continually of who God is, not who we think God is. So when we come to the Lord's table, we just need to understand. That's why God takes this so seriously. Because this is a reflection of himself. He takes seriously that we imitate him. And so just understand that there's some unique things about the Lord's table. I mean, first of all, look, if, you, if you're here with us this morning and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, praise God that you're here. And my hope and prayer is that today will be the day that, you, that Jesus saves you. But if you're not a, a child of God, then just don't participate. It's fine. And we're glad you're here. But if you are a child of God, you have to understand that this is not an optional activity. This is not something for a select group of people. This is for all saved people. And we're not to rush into it or to do it in an unprepared way. That's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So we're to examine ourselves. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For if anyone so eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. So here's what that means. That means for all believers... We need to, first of all, take careful self-inspection. You, you need to spend a few moments and think about how, in what ways is your life imitating God, and what ways is it not? 
thank God for the ways that it is and ask, confess to God for all the ways that it's not and ask God to, to help you to resolve those. And then secondly, not just self-inspection, but table reflection. We got we to gotta put at the forefront of our mind what it is that we're doing what these elements symbolize. What, why are we participating in this moment, this specific way? It's because the, the bread represents the body of Christ. Where in Matthew 26, Jesus took the bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. That's what he said. This is my body. And the juice represents the blood of Christ. And when Jesus took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to the disciples saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So you see that our focus has to be on where are we in our imitation of God And our understanding that the way to move forward in that is through the power of what God has done for us through giving his body and his blood. That you're not going to grit your teeth and become a better imitator. You've got to drive in intimacy. So what I want you to do is I want you to... uh, In a few moments, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and I'm going to pray. And and I want you to sit right where you are. And I want you to reflect on these things. I want you to think about these things. Spend some time confessing to God and thanking God and talking to God and let him speak to you. And then when you're ready, you see, it's not this one, two, three, here we go. That's not how this works. As you're ready, then you... Step out of your seat, which means, you know, not everybody's going to be ready at the same time. That's fine. You can scoot by. They'll move out of your way. You just make your way. And I want you to come down front. And when you get down to the end of these aisles, there's going to be men standing here. Men who love you, who pray for you, who have prepared to serve you in this way. And they're going to serve you these elements. And when they serve them to you, they're going to say to you, Jesus gave his body for you. They're going to remind you of that. When they give you the, the juice, they're going to say, Jesus shed his blood for you. They're going to remind you of that. You're going to, you need to hear them say that and, and, and hear the reminder of that. And then you're going to take these elements and you're going to step from there up to this altar. And you're going to look at that cross right there. And you're going to hold in your hand these two things that symbolize what happened on that cross. And you say out loud something like, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. And then you take the bread and drink the cup. But listen, it's important that you hear that when you receive it and that you say that. And I'm, I'm challenging you because here's the thing. Some of you are just, 
I don't know. I, I just get frustrated if I talk more than 10 seconds about this. I can't imagine in my heart you feeling strange or awkward about talking to God aloud and expressing your thankfulness to Him for what He's done for you. Especially when you're here amongst your family. And so the band's going to be up here and they're going to be playing. You're going to be, you're going to hear people receiving the elements and being told. And you're also going to hear people come up here and say whatever it is they're going to say to God. And all that's going to be going on at the same time, which is the way it ought to be. Because we're worshiping and we're being reminded and we're confessing all at the same time. And then once you take the elements, you just go over here to the side. There's a trash can for you to put the cup in. You go out the side door, come around, come back in the back, take your seat. The service isn't over. And then listen, if you're here this morning and you, look, not everybody can walk up here and navigate these stairs and do that. And that's fine. Listen, that is totally fine. All you have to do is when you're ready, just raise your hand. And there'll be men in the back that'll come to you and will serve you right where you are. You don't need to do this. If you're not comfortable working these stairs, then don't do it. It's okay. It's okay. The point is that we do it, that we participate, okay? So please... Let's do this in remembrance of him, okay? All right, so right where you are, let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for Jesus who came to this earth and put skin on and mimicked the Father in heaven. Thank you. And we thank you for the the joy that it gave you to freely give all that you are and all that you have in obedience to the Father for us. And so we are grateful this morning to be able as a family to participate in this act of remembrance and gratitude. So we ask that your blessing would rest upon it. Lord, that you would hear us worshiping being reminded and confessing and that it would bring a smile to your face as you see your children not doing but celebrating being, being. And Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, that wants to know you today, Lord, would you give them courage to just walk up here and find me and so that we can pray together and Remove all doubt and celebrate your goodness. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. In Jesus' name.